dear listeners, welcome back to Biopod, the official podcast of the School of Biological Sciences here at the University of Edinburgh. Leah Adler is a third-year BBSRC East Bio PhD student in the University of Edinburgh's Institute of Molecular Plant Sciences Department. Her PhD focuses on trying to improve photosynthesis efficiency in land plants and ultimately crops using synthetic biology. So hi, Leah. Thanks for speaking to me today. Pleasure. Yep. So you are trying to improve crop photosynthesis. So are are they not good enough currently or or what? So yeah, maybe yeah. start off by giving us some background into the problem that your lab or your research is tackling. Sure. So the ultimate problem we're working to help solve uh, is food insecurity. And food insecurity is a massive issue today. You know, there's millions of people that don't have stable access to nutritious food. Um, But this is forecast to get even worse in the future due to things like population increase, um, changing diets, land availability, and also climate change uh, affecting crops. So we really need to be doing something. And one of those things is to try and get crops to grow better so that we can have more crops with the limited availability of land and resources that we have. Great. So could you explain a little bit about what you are doing in your PhD research to solve this? Mm. Photosynthesis is the process of plants taking energy from sunlight uh, and then converting that into sugars, which becomes part of the plant biomass. So the whole project is called Combining Algal and Plant Photosynthesis. And the aim is to try and improve crops by uh, making them photosynthesize more efficiently. And yeah, like you said, even though we know we think crops grow pretty well, you know, they're taking the sun, they're growing. They're actually quite inefficient at doing this, which is really surprising because, you know, we've been breeding them for thousands of years. And this inefficiency is caused by this enzyme called rubisco. So rubisco is the actual enzyme inside the plant that converts carbon dioxide from the air and then converts it into a usable product for the plant, which will get converted to sugar. And rubisco is a very slow enzyme. I think it's possibly one of the slowest ones out there. And not only is it slow, but it gets confused between carbon dioxide and oxygen. So in today's atmosphere, for a crop plant like wheat, one in every third reaction that this enzyme does, it will take oxygen instead of carbon dioxide. And this is very wasteful um, and is a a major source of inefficiency. But algae are actually amazing at photosynthesis and they've evolved this mechanism to to fix this problem with Rubisco. And it's called a carbon dioxide concentrating mechanism. And what they do is they have a special compartment inside their cell where they they concentrate carbon dioxide from the water and they place it in this compartment. And this compartment is filled with rubisco and it allows rubisco to have all the carbon dioxide at once. And there's no oxygen there, so it can't it can't accidentally use the oxygen. Uh, And because there's so much carbon dioxide there, even though it's a bit slow, it's going as fast as it can because it's not limited by uh, carbon dioxide. 
And my project is helping get this amazing mechanism from algae and putting it into plants. And yeah, that's what I do. So by any chance, do you know whether the rubisco in land plants are faster or slower than the algae rubisco? Oh, well, I mean, the actual rubisco itself isn't much faster in algae versus plants. I mean, there's probably the slight differences. I think the past view was that rubisco, if you want it to be fast, it can get faster, but then it's even worse at telling the difference between carbon dioxide and oxygen. Right. And if it becomes more specific, so it's really good at only using carbon dioxide, it becomes a bit slower. And it seems that if you look at all the rubiscos that are out there, they they sort of fall along that pattern. And there are some outliers and there's a lot of debate about this, but that does seem to be the general trend. So no, like algae rubisco and plant rubisco are fairly similar, but Mm -hmm. it's the environment that rubisco is in that Mm -hmm. is affecting the photosynthesis. Okay. So it sounds very exciting. So transferring a whole organelle from one organism to another is pretty complicated. So do land plants have some sort of immune system that kind of rejects this carbon concentrating mechanism that you're trying to um, transfer from algae to plants? Yeah, that's a really good question. And plants do have an immune system. And it's, it's really incredible, actually. You know, they're able to fight off pathogens, even though it looks like they're just sitting there. Um, but they, they have quite a different immune system to what we would think about as an immune system. So in humans, a large part of the immune system is telling self from non-self. You know, and that's why we have things like allergies and we react to things that aren't part of our bodies. Um, but plants... Um, from my limited knowledge, their immune system is much more focused on detecting diseases rather than stuff that isn't plant, if that makes sense. So there's specific cues from from things like fungus or uh, predators like insects that they all de- detect. So, no, it's not it's not a real problem. And the the reason that this project um is so great is because we're taking things from an algae and putting them into plants and they're very very closely related evolutionarily (laughs) and it means that we we think that they should be very compatible and as part of this project many of our results have shown that you can really just take a gene from the algae put it into plants and it will the plant will just use it and it will do what is expected of it so it is quite compatible. Cool. I'm just uh, curious whether transferring a carbon concentrating mechanism into human cells would <laughs> stimulate the human immune system. <laughs> yeah, I think the human immune system were probably not like that. Yeah. So but yeah, I mean, it is quite complicated to get the whole thing in there working. It's like you say, it's very complex, but the individual components do seem to be quite compatible and they only need minor tweaks to function. Mm-hmm. so far so what is your biggest technical challenge that your research is facing the biggest technical challenge so well one challenge is that we still don't actually fully understand how the system works in algae you know I, we sort of know the principle of it and there's been amazing progress in recent years in understanding how it how it works but it's not total so there are still gaps in our knowledge. In terms of putting it into the plants, I'd say the technical challenges. Oh yeah, one is so some of the parts they were putting in, 
some of them are enzymes and some of them are things called transporters so they they have quite a specific function uh, so some of the components that we're putting in like i said they need minor tweaks to make sure that they work properly uh, and some of those are making sure that they go to the right place inside the plant cell so the plant cell takes the gene it makes a protein and then it, it gets targeted to a certain place and that is a little bit difficult so my project in particular is putting in these things called transporters and you can think of these as little tubes that um, let things in and out of a compartment being able to tell if those are working inside the plants is quite hard and there's not many techniques that can directly measure if these transporters are allowing things to move in and out of a compartment inside the cell so trying to design experiments to detect that has been challenging and then finally I'd say that the end goal of the project so say we we've finished and we've managed to get this mechanism working in plants and we've improved photosynthesis that's really great but then the next step is trying to get that into fields and doing field trials and having that taken up by farmers and you know there's a lot of regulatory issues with that there's probably lots of farmers that may not even want it so I yeah. think there's a there's a huge amount of work to be done on that end of things to make sure that the research is being put to good use yeah so, yeah is there a name for this carbon concentrating mechanism the carbon concentrating mechanism the special compartment that the carbon dioxide is concentrated into is called a pyrenoid can you spell that <laughs> uh yeah it's p-y-r-e-n-o-i-d and we've known about pyrenoids for a long time i think really possibly 1800s like you could see oh them in God. the microscope and they were called pyrenoids before we even knew what they did interesting um, um i did some googling yeah and i found out that the hornwort is which is a group of land plants <laughs> and they also have a pyrenoid with a carbon concentrating mechanism they do so they do mm. so hornworts um if, if you guys don't know how it looks like it basically has horn-like structures which is why they're called hornworts so do you know if there's any differences between the pyrenoids of this hornwort and microalgae yeah so hornworts are really interesting because like you say they're the only land plant that we know of that has pyrenoids in evolutionary terms hornworts are the closest land plants to algae and I'm not sure if it's clear why the hornworts have pyrenoids, because the theory with the green algae, when Rubisco first evolved, there was a lot of carbon dioxide and not a lot of oxygen. So it didn't need to tell the difference because there was so much carbon dioxide that, it, you know, it didn't matter. But then obviously when photosynthesis evolved as a process, um, there was the great oxygenation event and that balance tipped the other way. So the theory is that CCMs have evolved in response to that. But if you look at hornworts and you look at when they have evolved their pyrenoids, it doesn't seem to match up with this uh, change in, in the atmosphere. So it's not quite clear that that's why they have them. Um, some people think that maybe they have them because they live in quite damp environments and carbon dioxide diffuses much more slowly in water than in air so it could be a response to that 
so it's a bit of a conundrum but they, they do have a ccm and it's quite effective yeah that's interesting so um is there any research showing whether the hornworts ccm is better than the algae or vice versa Ooh, the numbers are probably out there but i think there is a range in both so there's probably hornworts that are better than some algae but i'm yeah. not sure on balance which is better yeah and there's a wide range of different species as well so it's really hard to compare yeah yeah there's so much diversity in paranoids yeah cool cool so on the other hand do you know of any other um cool research that's trying to improve plant photosynthesis from a different angle oh there's loads it's such a big area of research so you know there's lots of people fo focusing on photosynthesis so there's what we're doing which is trying to incorporate this carbon concentration mechanism from algae um, but there's also one in a species called cyanobacteria they also have a little compartment that's called a carboxysome that people are trying to use there's also land plants that have their own version of a ccm so there's a big project called the c4 rice project where they're trying to take a different ccm from plants into rice um, but there's also different kinds of crop improvement going on where looking at the amount of light that a plant uses so this is like a ballpark number but plants only convert about one or two percent of light into sugars oh my which god which is it's so inefficient right so bad um, so there's areas of research looking to try and optimize that by changing the absorption of light and how that gets used um, and also looking at the structure of crops like the the way that the leaves are arranged so if you make the leaves at the top a bit smaller then it allows light to pass through to the bottom leaves so that more of the plant can see the sun uh, so there's there's tons of ways that people are trying to improve crops yeah i just wish that um things could move a lot faster because <laughs> climate change is yeah yep we all know i'm thinking <laughs> Yep, time is ticking and we don't have a lot of time and uh, crop research actually takes a lot of time to do because plants take weeks and sometimes months to grow. Oh, whole years in some places, right? Like if you're doing a full-on field trial. Yeah. yeah, that's crazy. So one last question for me. So who or what inspired you to work in this field of crop improvement? So I've always been pretty interested in science. I think I, I like all parts of science. I think everything is interesting. And the, I guess the reason that I like photosynthesis so much is that it combines a lot of areas of science. So biophysics, biochemistry, physiology. So you get to think about things on lots of different scales. So the whole plant, uh, the plant's interaction with the atmosphere, and then what's really happening deep inside the plant um, on like the physics scale. So I find that really fulfilling. And also the, you know, it's a good cause. We're trying to help improve crops which will you know help people so that is really meaningful for me and I guess in terms of what led me there I think when I was studying sciences in undergrads every plant lecture that I had or interaction with the plant department was really good I feel like plant scientists are just really friendly nice people so yeah so I'm also curious have you spoken to any farmers about this carbon concentration mechanism or, or how so how willing are they to accept genetically modified plants yeah well i haven't spoken to any farmers myself i like i mentioned before this is something i feel that scientists should be more in touch with 
um, instead of just, you know, thinking that we can solve the issues if if the farmers who are actually there in the fields don't agree or don't yeah. know what we're doing, so they don't even know if they want it or not. Yeah. Um, I have started trying to learn more about it. So I've been trying to read some books of people who have actually spoken to the farmers. And I, from what I can tell, it's a little bit split. Um, so some farmers are really up for it, um, especially things like um, pest resistance. It sounds like they would like that if it was available. But I think also lots of people don't want it either because of distrust um, in the science or possibly in the companies. So obviously um, there's lots of controversy with the big ag companies making a lot of money off these seeds. So, yeah, I just think that yeah, everyone needs to be involved in the conversation. Yeah, I do agree. So I think um, a lot of scientists are, they spend too much time in the labs and not enough um, talking to people who end up using their products. Because if you have no customers, there's no point making a product that no one would use. So Yeah, although, although, oh, where did I hear this? But someone's made the argument that if we do want these solutions, we need to make them now because... If, if yeah. in the future we decide actually we do want some GM crops that are more efficient, we're not going to have time to make them. Because as you said, it takes a long time to develop them. So let's invest now, have them ready, and they'll be available if we need them. Yeah, that's a really good point. You can just um, bank the seeds in a seed bank and just have them ready for when, ready the, to ap- save the, world. when the apocalypse comes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So thank you for your time, Leah. Thank you nice so much. And, and yeah, that's that's us. We hope you fed off Leah's enthusiasm for crop improvement, and we hope that you've learned different ways of improving photosynthesis. All of us in Biopop wishes you a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Stay tuned for more exciting episodes in 2022 and stay safe. Bye!